Did she just mute herself? I think so. <laughs> uh, she... She's still <laughs> muted. <laughs> Do we have to tell her this in the chat? This is starting off great. Oh. I feel like Riz Ahmed and the sound of metal. Like I can just see her lips moving and I can hear <laughs> nothing but the like deafening like sense of silence. Fools rushing. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. Christine Clay, you know, and guess who drop on by? Oh, who they choose? The Freedom Medal for a presidential medal for the Limbaugh Show. Welcome to the Limbaugh show about the presidential medal of freedom who's received it who should receive it and uh based on the name of our show maybe a couple who shouldn't receive it i'm clay russell i'm christine sear and i'm brian tuft on today's show our first show which i'm very excited for uh we will have a profile of eb white author of charlotte's web Guest Sander Randall will come in and absolutely destroy his metal picks like a steroid-addled baseball player in the late 80s. And uh, we will also present our medals of the week. But uh, first up, guys, how, how are we doing? We're okay. Pretty um, good. I, so if we had to rank ourselves by vaccine status as of right now, Brian fully vaxxed, Christine half-vaxxed, Clay zero-vaxxed. Clay, sad puppy emoji in the corner. I want to be vaxxed. You just have I'd... a lot of antibodies, and isn't that the real vaccine? Is I it? guess, but supposedly it only lasts six months, so I'm well Ugh. over that. TikTok. Actually, I have a little anniversary coming up. In, uh, in two days' time will be the one-year anniversary of me going, uh, I don't, something's weird. Oh, my something's, God. Something's off. What a magical time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least you got it early. It's... People yeah. getting it now, I'm like, yikes. <laughs> How embarrassing. A pair of boot yeah. cut jeans, like, yikes. <laughs> so we've moved you on. Know. The culture has moved on. It's right. truly yeah. a New York City caste system. If you either have it or you don't, you know? The haves <laughs> and the have-nots. I got it back in the day when doctors would call you an asshole for wearing a mask. That's That's how ahead of the curve I was. Well... And then you had that thing on your finger, and the doctor was like, if it goes below whatever it was, if it goes below, like, 95, go to the oh, hospital. the pulse oximeter. Yeah. yeah and exactly. you were, like, hovering below whatever the thing was. You're like, I'm going to ride this out. I was at, like, a solid 1994. You know, I was, I was, <laughs> I was like Oasis, basically, and just kind of stayed there for a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember somebody making me a mask with like old Liberty of London print fabrics and this woman stopping me in the supermarket and being like, you shouldn't be buying masks. They're taking them. You're taking them from medical professionals. And I was like, I don't think anyone's performing surgery in this, you know, and if they are, I don't want to be part of it. I don't know what kind of HMO you've got, lady, but if they're not wearing something a little bit more secure, get up and sign yourself out. Yeah, yeah. I uh, my uh, initial uh, masks were basically uh, folding a handkerchief uh, mm. in half and wearing it across my face, like I uh, owned a horse farm or something. <clears throat> As a gay person, I was thrilled. I really thought the hanky code was coming back, and I was just <laughs> like, "Oh, this is very exciting." <laughs> Make things easy. 
I do still think it looks cool when people do the the bandana as a face mask. Like, I'm sure that's the worst thing you can do for spreading the virus oh, everywhere. Yeah. But it, it looks cool, actually. It looks like you're going to shoot Miss Kitty at the saloon. And I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. what could be more classic than that? Right. A timeless like look. Shooting a guy off a balcony. <laughs> well, and but I mean, germ wise, I think it's like when like at the grocery store, they don't have a refrigerated refrigerator door it's like those flaps of plastic that like don't quite do the job mm-hmm. yeah if it like if it flaps up as you're talking you're not doing a good job with your with your face mask i'm with you yeah yeah i heard about the candle test which is if you could blow out a candle through your mask it's not uh substantial enough <laughs> if if your mask lights on fire while you're wearing well, it on your face then then it's doing a good job High risk, high reward. I don't know. And you're welcome for these life hacks like a week before the pandemic's over because. Yes. <laughs> yes. We mean it in just under the wire, guys. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about how we got here. So uh, yeah. me and Christine and Brian, uh, believe it or not, we are friends in real life. We didn't just get put together like some type of pop band. We are, we are here in our own volition. R.I.P. Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah R- rotten pieces <laughs> yeah so so as the equivalent the thing that brought us together not ron perlman but rush limbaugh uh his death brought us together guys yeah so, so here we are i mean and i think so the thing is like people had strong reactions right to him getting the presidential medal of freedom you don't necessarily would have ex- you wouldn't necessarily have expected that to be a hot button issue, but people were like appalled that he got it. And it's like, oh, but here's here's the thing, though. And one of the reasons why I'm glad that we're doing this is he was named in February of 2020 during the State of the Union address, which everyone was up in arms about. But like when he was actually awarded, it was during the pandemic and we had other shit to think about then. Ah, yes. And so it never really did get that you know, that uh, outrage that it deserved. And I don't know, one of the things that that I hope that we're able to do with this show is to maybe try to answer what makes someone who deserves to get that medal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if he had died during the Trump administration, that it would not have reverberated through the news as like much because every day was a dumpster fire whereas Mm -hmm. like we were already almost a month into the biden era when rush limbaugh you know went to the big studio in the sky (laughs) and once I, i feel like we were at a point where the news wasn't jumping from crisis to crisis we were like looking for a story and i think you know just like um we were talking yesterday about uh people in hollywood dating people like half their age and how like some of them are coming back up in the news and you know certain people that were able to skate on by in 2005 it's now like you know it's your time Wilmer Valderrama and Uh, I think it's the same thing now where like we didn't have time to process what him getting the medal meant in February of 2020 with what we were dealing with and what was to come but February 2021 I had the time I I was ready to you know have that conversation (laughs) Still yeah, can't leave yeah. the house, and there's just less <laughs> trending on Twitter. So, you know, I think that uh, if there's one thing that 2020 and the first half of 2021 has shown us is, is you know, the actions of people in power will have a real effect on your lives. And so, 
yeah, I think it's absolutely uh, the time to, to talk about who maybe doesn't deserve uh, deserve their accolades. Yeah, because it's like what makes a good American in public opinion isn't always the same as what a particular president is deciding to either promote or prioritize, um, which I think we're going to see as we go through sort of in cycles of the various presidents and who they've um, uh awarded this to is it it ends up like forming a picture about okay what was society valuing at the time what was the president trying to do um at the time too so it's for something that can feel a little bit flimsy it actually has a pretty rich context i think um i mean i hope so or else this podcast is gonna be short-lived so we'll say I love it. All right. When we come back, Christine does a profile Mm -hmm. on author E.B. White. So for this episode's deep dive recipient profile, we're going to do E.B. White the writer. So he is from the first class, the uh, class of 63 of medal recipients, which if you can tell by the year, um, was a JFK <clears throat> nomination. So JFK actually, the, the medal as it exists now is a JFK, uh, a JFK joint. He, uh, there had been something called like the Medal of Free, there had been something with a similar name prior to that, which was more oriented towards military. Like in general, um, in the U.S., we don't we hadn't had sort of a, a civilian honor like this. It had always been sort of tied to the military, and so it was under JFK that it sort of became this um, civilian honor and the highest civilian honor that we bestow. And, and so, it didn't necessarily have to tie in with military, like helping yeah. the military as a private citizen, too. It could be art. It could be whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of correlates to, you know, being knighted in the UK. You can be knighted for your, for your, you know, I mean, I don't think Elton John is a war hero, right? Or is he? I don't he? know. That we know of. Yeah. He's in that war with Madonna. I mean, mm, you know. You're right. Noel Coward was a, a spy for the British during World War Two. so. Really? You never know. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, Sir Elton John, for for saying that. So, um, so yeah. Maybe KGB. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know what side he was on. Anyway. Um. So yeah. So JFK, his sort of first class. So unfortunately, he kind of came up with this um, medal right before an unfortunate trip to Dallas, and so, <laughs> um. He had nominated. Wow. Brian, Brian just gave a finger gun symbol. Yeah, nobody can see When that. mentioning the assassination of President Kennedy. I mean, it's entirely. Too soon, Brian. Yeah. Too soon. You can't prove it. This is an audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so anyway, he, so JFK started this award and he made his nominations for the um, award, but the ceremony wasn't able to happen until... Lyndon Johnson was president. And don't worry, you best believe Lyndon Johnson nominated his own people later, but we'll get we'll get to him. Um, so let's talk about E.B. White. Um, and I think I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised as I was doing a little research on him, because especially like 
you know, like a white male writer, you're just like, you're kind of cringing as you as you go into it. But I was this was he is I'm happy to report he seems to be pretty unproblematic. So and like I enjoy that all of his photos you can find as well. He's uh, posing next to a dog as well. I noticed that as well. Yes. His main yeah. uh, photo on Wikipedia is him with his dachshund mini. So, Christine, as you would say, he has very big L.L. Bean catalog energy. Oh, tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. And 100%. he died in Maine. So that was actually very <laughs> prescient yeah. of you, Brian. Yeah. Um, so if you've ever wondered what EB stands for, you're in luck. It stands for Elwin Brooks. So Elwin Brooks L.L. White. L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. I know. <laughs> E.B. Bean. Definitely had that monogrammed on his robe. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I know that he literally has the word white in his name, but it is the whitest name ever. Um, so he was born in Mount Vernon, New York, which, uh, for those who don't know, is just outside of the Bronx um, in July 1899. So right if, I, if I may as well, uh, yeah. Mount Vernon, on top of uh, the author of Charlotte's Web, E.B. White, uh, also Felicia Rashad is from Mount Vernon. Really? Uh, Denzel Washington and the rapper DMX. So, yeah. As Brian said, I think that's a that's a great dinner party right there. <laughs> that's actually awesome. I have to say, I didn't realize Denzel was from New York, and now I feel really bad about that. I think he has that theatrical diction, and he kind of did away with his New York accent, and I just didn't. 100%. Yeah. Wow. All right. Mel- I, always, I always would have thought that Denzel was from, like, a Cincinnati or somewhere, right? you know? It's yeah. like a... It's the accent of America is what it is. Hmm. Um, So after being born in Mount Vernon in 1899, uh, E.B. White went to Cornell. um, And he almost immediately after that just started writing. And he dabbled in a few other publications before starting to write at The New Yorker while it was in its infancy. So um, if you can imagine him kind of getting in on the ground at The New Yorker, um, that's some pretty good luck on his part to be born in the right era. And his first, um, his, the woman he eventually married was his editor, the first fiction editor for the New Yorker. His name is Catherine Sergeant angle. And, um, yeah, he was just like, this is my spot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend decades and decades here. And actually his personal writing style, which is, um, you know, pretty genteel and, and eloquent, but, um, efficient there's there's a lot about his style of writing that was seen as kind of foundational as the new yorker was figuring out its tone um and that's something that kind of persists to its to this day so he definitely left his mark on the magazine um he's also in addition to being a presidential medal winner he's a pulitzer prize winner um but he got like essentially a special citation pulitzer prize it's like Similar to a Lifetime Achievement Oscar, like they've basically given him a Pulitzer for his entire body of work, which is pretty cool. Um, So in terms of his writing, he wrote both Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web, which are, I think, two of the most beloved children's books of all time. I know I had a soft spot for Charlotte's Web, the book and the movie, which, by the way, he was involved in the movie um, and it sounds like he was actually kind of probably annoying and meddlesome to the filmmakers because he really <laughs> wanted to like protect the book 
and make sure that the sort of spirit of the story um, made its way. Which into uh, we all just watched Sound of Music, and yes. supposedly the the real Maria von Trapp was. They had to kind of block her from the studio because she did. was so intense about getting everything right. Yeah, so he was he was the Maria von Trapp on the Charlotte's <laughs> Web set. It wasn't really a set because it was a cartoon, but the, the right. studio. Yeah. And you mean that literally, like he just kept showing up and singing and they were like, but this, this isn't a musical. <laughs> he was in Lederhosen. <laughs> right. He was stepping on the animated pages and they were like, that's not <laughs> how a cartoon works, Evie. I'll tell you how it works. What's interesting is growing up, uh, like, I feel like he has like very big, like you're taught in school, the works of E.B. White. And I guess I always thought that the... Um, you know, kind of grammar book came first and they were like, this guy knows all the rules. Let's let him write a book. And then like, he just like, you know, like hit it out of the park and like fucking crushed it with like, what if this little mouse talked? And what if I wrote this story about some pig? So I, I loved as an animal lover, I, lo- I related to Fern and I loved the, the, the book and the movie of Charlotte's Web. But I think the thing that I didn't really understand when I was a kid was it was this part of a school of children's books where it was like, yeah, there's going to be a devastating death. Like it's, you know. And to be fair, like canonically, it actually made sense. She's a spider. Like he's obviously going to outlive her by a significant amount. Um, but I, I just like the. I mean, this the idea that this like sort of influential, um, you know, style and grammar genius, like foundational writer at the New Yorker. Um, even wanted to write children's books. But then when he did, he like respected the audience of children enough to be like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do the sad stuff and I'm going to make you cry your face off and you're going to be fine. Cause it was also just to think of the time it was published in 1952. So, yes. you know, kids that would have read that book would have, you know, lived through the tail end of world war two and you're in the middle of the, the nuclear arms race where, you know, you're trained to get underneath your desk and, and hide whenever a, a big bomb goes kablooey. So that's true. Yep. Yeah. It's, I, I think that it's very much an element of its era. Yeah, I agree. And it obviously that though it still resonates with kids. I mean, I hope it's still popular with kids, kids these days. They're still reading Charlotte's web. Um, Okay, so I do, I could actually spend this entire time talking about Charlotte's Web, but we should just sort of wrap up, um, give you a little bit of a character uh, idea of who E.B. White was. So he stayed married to his fiction editor at the New, York, the New Yorker, and, you know, until her death. I think she predeceased him by like less than 10 years. Um, but so one of his, James Thurber, who is one of his contemporaries, I've never heard of him, but... Um, when he described E.B. White as a person. So apparently he was pretty shy, pretty publicity averse, not reclusive, you know, like, um, like Salinger. Yeah. Or, um, Harper Lee. It wasn't to that level, but he was just shy and he had, you know, preferred not to be at the party or, um, so this is just a quote from James Thurber, which I have to do in my old timey voice. So bear with me. Most Should of I us. Have, like some, some violin music in the background as you do it. <laughs> Uh, most of us, out of a politeness made up of faint curiosity and profound resignation, go out to meet this smiling stranger with a gesture of surrender and a fixed grin. But White has always taken to the fire escape. <laughs> so apparently, in the New York in the New Yorker's offices, he would physically 
because uh, I assume there was a lot of socializing going on as well as news writing and uh, short story writing. And so he would literally escape out the fire escape to an adjacent building to like avoid social situations. Wow. So I, you know, I can kind of relate to that and good for him. I think a lot of people are going to take that up uh, pre like post pandemic, like, you know, the first mm. meeting where it's off zoom and it's in person. I think there's going to be a lot of people headed towards the fire escape at the New Yorker Absolutely. and at other places. Well, Hey, yeah. don't forget if he was born in 1899, he definitely remembered the flu pandemic. So he was probably just practicing social distancing. Sure. You know, yeah. Um, so the other, another thing which I know Clay has a special place in Clay's heart that he wrote is um, Here is New York, which is sort of, so he lived in Turtle Bay for a very long time. He didn't die in New York. He died in Maine, like a good L.L. Bean man. Um, but he did live in New York for a long time. And that was Clay, the piece about um, there are three New Yorks, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great quote, and we'll put it in the notes. But um the thing that I wanted to read because I thought it was it was really interesting, and this was like a little mini story I hadn't heard. Um, so this is towards the end of Here's New York, which is his like, I guess before it was a cliche to do so, it was his kind of like love letter to New York City. So he says, a block or two west, this, uh, this quote is too long for me to do in my old-timey voice, so I'm going to do it in my normal voice. Um, a Maybe block- you could do like an old-timey announcer, like talk this fast when you're doing it, and you could get through it that way. <laughs> I could talk pretty fast. So, all right. A block or two west of the new city of man in Turtle Bay, there's an old willow tree that presides over an interior garden. See, it makes me want to do it in the old-timey voice. It's a battered tree, long-suffering and much climbed, held together by strands of wire but beloved by those who know it. In a way, it symbolizes the city. Life under difficulties, growth against odds, sap rise in the midst of concrete and steady reaching for the sun. Whenever I look at it nowadays and feel the cold shadow of the plains, I think, this must be saved, this particular thing, this very tree. If it were to go, all would go. The city, this mischievous and marvelous moment, which not to look upon would be like death. So first of all, it's a beautiful piece of writing. Second of all, if you guys are wondering, as I am, what happened to that tree... I have good news and bad news. The bad news is the tree's gone. (laughs) It eventually just like, you know, it was like disease ridden and I think it was just a hazard to keep it there. So they, they did cut it down, but they were able to save these like cuttings of it. Um, And so the article I found in the New York times was from 2010. So at this point, I don't know where they ended up, but this like guy, uh, cause everyone felt really bad about cutting down this, this tree, this willow tree that EB white had like, literally been like if this tree dies all of new york city dies and they're like uh and what i'm are we t- taking it with it yeah and so yeah they didn't want to be haunted by his ghost they didn't want to kill the city so they like kind of saved some cuttings that apparently then thrived in the ground and so in some form the tree is in fact living on so so everything's okay so from what i've heard the tree where the like the spin-off trees were actually planted in tennessee and they inspired a little singer-songwriter by the name of Taylor Swift to write the number one hit song, Willow. I wish that were true. Is it? I know. Wouldn't it be so great? Oh, I wish. my God. I, I have no idea where they are. But that song slaps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, just, so he actually lived to a pretty old age. Old age. He lived to, um, he was 86. He died in 1985. But unfortunately, his last couple years, he was suffering from Alzheimer's. But I just wanted to end on 
Um, so his son, he had, sorry, he had children with, uh, his wife and one of his sons, you know, would visit him while he was ailing with Alzheimer's and would read E.B. White's own work to him because he thought that would be, you know, that might, um, stir up some memories or might be comforting to him, but he essentially wouldn't remember having written it. And so there was this one time where, um, his son finished reading something to him and he said, who, who wrote that? And he said, you did dad. And his response was, well. Not bad, <laughs> which I love. And um, kind of a baller way to end it. But then I also just, there's this quote about him, um, about how he felt about writing that was just so sweet that I really thought I should end on, which was, um, all that I hope to say in books, all that I ever hope to say is that I love the world. So, yeah, I think for JFK to have picked E.B. White, for the for the inaugural the first class of the the medal winners this was an excellent choice i think agreed between his work and the kind of person that he seemed to be i think he um i think jfk knocked out of the park this is someone who who should represent american ideals and i think if a few of our uh prominent male white writers in history had been a little more like eb white um things would have been better for a lot of people <laughs> There is, you know, um, I don't know if this was a product of his time or what, but I do feel like there was a humbleness to him that you yes. don't really see a lot of. Agreed. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it was sort of that, you know, the I mean, it was funny. I thought it was funny. The thing of him like escaping out the fire escape so he didn't have to deal with social situations. I don't think it was just about awkwardness. It was I think he didn't want like the adulation and the celebrity of it. Mm-hmm. Like he really just wanted to write things that meant something to people yeah then maybe he shouldn't have wrote as great as he did and then people wouldn't have wanted to flood his office with a new yorker try phoning it in eb and no one would have bothered you yeah well i don't know i i think one of the you know as we move on to the segment of who this person would be in today's world like i struggled with this because you know, everybody is expected to have a heavy social media presence and and be a self promoter and all that. And I was like, who the hell would that be today? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a thought. I I have something I want to approach the bench with, which is Brian Cranston. So Brian Cranston is again. We're recording this in April 2021, so this might change. But right now, as far as we know, he's unproblematic. You know, he's like been married to the same lady. Uh, he does an incredible job, and apparently, he's very like gracious and polite. So, like when it's award season, which he's always nominated, so he's there. You know, he'll sort of say hi at the parties after, and then like. Go, you know, home by 10 with his wife, putting on their, um, their ponds night cream. And, and, you know, he's just like kind of a. It's kind of creepy that you know his night routine. Is there something you want to talk about here? No. I, what happens in Brian Cranston's living room stays in Brian Cranston's living room. Actually, no, the ponds thing is from Elizabeth Warren, who last year during election season, when she had to be like, folksy and relatable she said that ponds was her go-to skincare thing anyway um he just yeah brian cranston to me because i i don't believe he has any social media or i would imagine if he has a social media presence it's something he doesn't touch you know someone just 
kind of posts it for him and he yeah he doesn't really want to be a part of the scene he just wants to like knock it out of the park every time he's uh oh and wait a minute just thought of another thing he's done work that appeals to adults and done work that appeals to children because for many years he was the dad on a on oh. a kid-friendly sitcom so that's yeah. another connection that's what i got i uh yeah i really struggled with this one uh the person that I came up with was Joni Mitchell, uh, just because I, I thought of people who are undeniably creative uh, and were, are masters of their craft, but are almost uh, and are widely respected, but are almost too delicate for society. I feel <laughs> like she's for this world. Yeah, she was always, you know, and always has been very withdrawn in society, but is someone who's widely recognized as as being in the top of her class as a songwriter in America. Yeah. I see that totally. Yeah. And um I don't I can't think of any scandals about her. And I also can't think of any time I've like seen her in an on-air interview or anything mm-hmm. like that so like you wouldn't see her at the mtv music awards like you know no. wearing a uh, a strapless dress she right i don't know i i almost feel like she a lot like eb white as someone who didn't necessarily do his art for fame but did it because he almost just couldn't help himself he, he had these ideas and i feel the same about Joni mitchell as well yeah, and doing a quick Google image search, um, another thing they share is like a strong... You're looking for strap, for strapless dress Joni Mitchell picks? Is... <laughs> no, but I'm saying that to just tie it in with E.B. White, that like a strong sense of style mm-hmm. um, that she had in her younger years and I think in her older years as well. So. Yeah, she, uh, she, I believe, had a stroke last year. So best oh. of best wishes for Joni Mitchell. Good vibes only for Joni. Yes. So when I approached the thought of, like, who this person would be today, my first thought was, like, okay, who is the most accomplished author with two initials and a surname? And I was like, it's <laughs> And I was like, we are not giving her shit. Like, maybe no. bleep her name out. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, she wrote the book about the wizard who goes to school. Um, but... Then I was like, okay, like let's let's piggyback off that, and um, I got to J.K. Simmons, and I was like, I I cannot, like even if I really sat with this, could not find a correlation between E.B. White and J.K. Simmons. Um, and J.K. Simmons, like, also was known or is known to take a paycheck. He is in Justice League: The Snyder Cut. I'm not going to lie to besmirch J.K. Simmons' good name. Uh, So then I decided (laughs) that I was going to um, kind of think about it as uh, authors who have found success in both fiction and nonfiction work. And therefore, I would say that this should go to Joyce Carol Oates. Ooh, I like that. I mean, she's she very is... celebrated. She's very accomplished. But I did check. She has not uh, ever been recognized with this honor. So mm. I, you know, that's, it. that's my three named author who <laughs> has success in both realms of fiction and nonfiction. 
I feel confident. I, I'm, I'm trumping it, you know? Like, I'm just going to be like, give it to the lady. <laughs> <laughs> she has three names, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is dead. Give it to Joyce Carol Oates. <laughs> no, you can, you can uh, award the medal uh, posthumously. <gasps> oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's supposed to be who would it be today? Like, true. But, I mean, she was today, you know, six months she ago. She is today. She's still alive. Oh, I'm uh, talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, no, she's dead. Yes. <laughs> no. Sorry, everyone. For bringing up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. so I guess she was instantly replaced with Amy Comey Barrett. Is, is, that was the that's joke. That's another yeah, three yeah, names. You put it yeah. together. Yeah. Take a piece of furniture from Ikea. I gave you the pieces. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian. <laughs> Okay, I like these. I, I struggled with it, but I feel like we have three good ones. I think so, too. So yeah. hats off to you, E.B. White. Your your spirit continues in those clippings of the of the willow tree and in these celebrities, these unproblematic celebrities who are still still playing the game. And those truly inspirational photos of you living your L.L. Bean catalog life. With your little doggies. Coming up next, Sandra Randall tells us who he would pick for the Presidential Medal of Freedom and who his Limbaugh would be. Okay, our guest for this week's show is a writer, musician, enthusiast, jack of all trades, guitar player. Uh, we were in a radio show together called The Essentials on kpiss.fm, if you want to see that. He uh, writes and stars in the audio play Staggers and Jags. Uh, little known fact, he was the banjo player in the uh, music video for Kokomo by the Beach Boys. <laughs> you know, you, you think that you don't see him, but he's there. Just look closely. Sandra Randall, welcome to the Limbaugh! Yay! Oh my god, look at all these people! Yes, so many Are people. Are you allowed to have this many people in a studio? Yeah, yeah. Oh We're God. all crowded okay. in here. Okay, I know. cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh we've uh, we've all uh, wished that we were vaccinated, but we're yeah. not good enough to be vaccinated. Yeah, I don't so, know what kind of shot I got. I just stood in line and I got what they took, gave me. You don't. You don't even know. Did you even say oh, I no, I got the vaccine, no, or did you just like? Did you just let them get you with a syringe? Because it might have been sugar water. So yeah, it could have been. Well, isn't I'm that a what little, a placebo is? Is or, sugar what water? What can you say? I'm a sweet guy. <laughs> um, I'm dead silence at that joke. People are already turning off this. Uh, <laughs> like, no, just <laughs> skip around. No, Do no, at the limbo. At the limbo, uh, it's in no, and out. Limbaugh. It's it's great. It's great. Okay. It's great um, seeing you. Yeah, you too. All right, should, should we dive into this? Yeah, um, you're you're leading the show, man. I'm just the guest. I don't know what's going on. All right, fine. Give it to me right now. <laughs> First oh, okay. pick. First who, pick. Who, who's getting the medal? Who is getting the medal that should should have gotten the medal? Should have gotten the medal. Should have gotten the medal. Didn't get Sandra a medal. Sandra Randall's pick for who should get the medal. I almost want you to guess. I was thinking about this. I was like, should I have Clay guess? Because I feel like you could probably guess in the first guess. Well, Bob Dylan's already gotten it. Is it a baseball player? Oh, you're, you're giving me nothing. You're dead-eyeing Pete, me. Pete Seeger. 
Pete Seeger. I yeah. like that one. Yeah. This is a, this, when you texted me, I was like, no brainer, no brainer. Pete Seeger shouldn't have got a, should have got a presidential medal of freedom. Absolutely. I love that pick. Um, Pete Seeger, uh, conservationist folk singer. He, yeah, he was a, a social activist. He was someone who is a songwriter, a folk uh, troubadour. He was a unionizer. He was a left-wing god. You know, this guy, he stuck his neck out when it was not cool to stick your neck out, you know, he was, he was blacklisted for a couple of years, right? During the McCarthy trials. The the big thing was he, he was so left wing that he did join communist parties in the U S and never apologized for it. And never apologized for them, but he did leave them when he was like, this is not actually how it should be. Um, and, uh, his, his one thing was like, uh, communism in Russia is like Christianity, you know, and God where he's, you know, like the practice of it is not necessarily always correct, but the idea is right. Um, where he was very much for like power to the people unionizing all of his songs. He took all Rabble of these, rouser. Yeah. All of these folk songs and he would basically teach people how to unionize within these songs that were catchy. Um, he has a lot of stuff. Like we played it on the essential show or we played it on old Bay boys. Even before that was like Sam, the whaler, which is just some kid song where it's a kid who wants to go on an adventure. He goes out to sea, you know, and when it's time to pay up, um, he doesn't get as much money as the rest of the boys. And it's like, no, he's just a kid. And he was like, he worked just as hard as the rest of us. He should get paid just the same. And the captain obviously doesn't put up much of a fight. And the lesson is to all the kids who are five years old in 1965 or whenever the album came out is to everyone, if you work hard enough, everyone should get paid the same, no matter what. Which was a radical, probably, idea to be to be mainstream back then. Yeah. And the thing that always struck me about him, no matter what, uh, thing he was advocating is that he always had a joy to what he was saying. Yeah. It was never, it was never this, this dark, uh, I don't know, almost depressing way that you would hear a lot of, uh, people frame it. It was always with enthusiasm. It was always with encouragement. And he was a mentor both in the activist and music world as well. Oh my God. It's, insane how influential he was to so many like like folk music i think in in this like pop culture realm might be a little uh it gets a bad rap for being being goofy maybe um but but when when pete seeger was talking about folk music like everyone knows you know where have all the flowers gone if i had a hammer um you know, he was doing so many songs that we all know, um, like playground songs, like the green grass grows all around or something. You know, he has so many albums. I love listening to his kids albums. Um, I personally, like when I play music with people in groups or like at a jam or something or, or wherever, I love 
being inspired by Pete Seeger's song choices because he inherently, he always picks songs that are for people to sing along with and are joyful, easy songs to the, with the intention of, um, songs are not meant to be complicated, you know, or, or maybe they're not, they're enjoyable when they're simple. It's, it's not a shameful thing to play a three chord song with 10, 10 lines of lyrics. You know, that's, that's a song everyone can learn and everyone can sing. And when we sing together, you know, it's, it's all good. Yeah. When I listen to his live recordings, you always get the sense that he was very much, I think there are some people that will perform, almost as like an introverted personal thing with him. I never got that. I got that. He was actually there to perform for people. I never got the sense that he had a set list even like he would, he would get up there and, and, Oh yeah. You know, play songs based on how he felt at the time and, and who was there to perform with him as well. Well, I think, and, and I also want to make a point, um, to, to talk about like this, I have this, idea and this metaphor that I love to say is like, who's like carrying the fire. And I, I borrow that, I guess, from like the Cormac McCarthy's the road or, but I, I love the idea of like the fire of folk music or the mm-hmm. fire of music or the fire of the story of, of uh, a culture, you know, either it's American culture, but Pete Seeger is obviously one of those people um, who could get on stage and just go and he could play a song and that would, you know, lead him to the next song and he doesn't know what it is until halfway through. And then, um, you know, he's got a story of where he learned these songs and he's traveling all over learning these songs from everyone. Um, I felt like he was an ambassador too, to a lot of different folk scenes from a lot of different eras. And I, I feel like the modern version of Pete Seeger in my mind is Rhiannon Giddens, Mm -hmm. um, of Carolina chocolate drops of our native daughters. Um, and now she, you know, she's a very accomplished solo artist. She's someone you'd go see her perform. She's trained in opera, but she grew up in North Carolina and plays, you know, very old time music, you know, old dash time music. Um, but she plays the banjo. She plays a fretless banjo because that is the traditional uh, presentation of what a banjo is because banjos were uh, invented, brought over to the U S by slaves, um, you know, in the mid 1600s, 1700s and going to see her play is like going to school. Um, but it's also wonderful music. And I take a lot of, um, I borrow a lot of song choices from Rihanna because she also has such wonderful, um, American music, wonderful cultural music, um, and I think the intention behind her work is exactly the same as Pete, um, where it's it's meant to be uh, historical and it's meant to be have a message behind it. Mm-hmm. And also welcoming as well. Yeah, there's almost a there's almost an enthusiasm to when you hear someone like that play, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, he was blacklisted because he was a liberal, but um, he made a big comeback uh, in the 60s and was since, you know, founded the, was was a big part of the Newport Folk Festival being established in 1959 and, and growing. And, you know, he was there until he passed away in 2014. 
Um, And also was a a very available mentor toward the subsequent generations as well. Yeah. Uh, You know, we think of the obvious, like your your Bob Dylan's and your Joan Baez's and things like that. But, you know, oftentimes that's not the case. They'll kind of close themselves off and and sequester themselves uh, until someone passes them up. But with him, uh, no, he was always very welcoming. And you're right, was heavily involved in the Newport Folk Festival and and, uh, pushing things forward. Yeah, and and every intention behind his songs were were for the betterment of a group. You know, whether you're singing along or whether you're you're unionizing your factory, mm-hmm. everything was meant for the enjoyment and the betterment of of a collective. Um, and when when he died, Obama gave a statement, um, which you can imagine being something someone would say at his uh, Medal of Freedom, you know, intro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Obama, with his community organizing background, you know, yeah. he, he definitely knew who Pete Seeger was. So, so Obama said, over the years, Pete used his voice and his hammer to strike blows for workers' rights and civil rights, world peace and environmental conservation. And he always invited us to sing along for reminding us where we come from and for showing us where we need to go. We will always be grateful to Pete Seeger. Wow. Yeah, he knew how to write a speech, that Obama. Yeah, he had good speech writers. <laughs> but I think you're, it's true. Yeah, I think Obama and Pete probably would have had a lot to talk about. I agree. I agree. And, you know, uh, shifting over to his environmentalism as well, uh, for people that live in the Northeast, uh, anytime I visit Beacon, New York, uh, just right off the Metro North stop there is the the Pete Seeger Park. Uh, which is near the Hudson, because he was one of the major uh, proponents of, you know, the environmental restoration of the Hudson River. And you have a lot of uh, a lot of things when you go there and and spend time outside to thank Pete Seeger for as well. Yeah, he grew up, um, I think he grew up in Beacon, or right around there at least. Um, And so a lot of his songs he might change the location to some some beacon uh or some hudson valley town but yeah now they have the the clear water sloop that that is up in the hudson river that's a it's like a nonprofit organization that him and his wife started that is all about the conservation of of the river um and it's just like man he was truly through and through uh, uh an unflappable human uh that it is a shame that he never got it, but you know, you can't, he got a lot of awards. Um, but I think if you were to trade an award for all the influence and, and accomplishments he's had in his life, it's like, you wouldn't do it. Well, uh, president Trump gave the, uh, medal to Elvis. So, you know, I uh, Maybe. <laughs> feel like Pete Seeger may, uh, may have a medal in his future. It's, oh it's not too late, even though that he's passed on. All right. Is it time for the Limbaugh? It's time for the Limbaugh. This is, I thought it was, it was going to be hard to pick. Um, but after about 10 minutes of pondering, um, I decided someone who, I, I interpreted this award or this category as someone who is perhaps a villain, perhaps a black sheep, perhaps an outcast, but their influence on their world is undeniable. And so I chose Jose Canseco. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yes. Um, I think I cannot deny. Amazing. I, I cannot I deny. I love this choice. I cannot deny that I am mildly obsessed with Jose Canseco. Is, um, hold on, but quick question. Will he have his shirt off? At the medal ceremony, I don't think he'll be wearing sleeves. Um, no I th- sleeves. But I think he'll wear like a, a fancy shirt, but with no sleeves. No, he's he. What he's going to do is he's going to wear a sleeveless t-shirt um, with his car wash on the front. Jose Canseco's Showtime Car Wash, Las Vegas, Nevada. Apparently, he's there every Wednesday signing autographs. Um, uh. So yeah, it's Jose Canseco. I mean, he cuz he uh famously wrote Juiced and famously outed uh pretty much everyone for everyone. doing steroids and he's like I yeah. did it. It would made me a better person. I would have been in major league baseball if it wasn't for steroids. I injected Mark McGuire. I helped people get steroids and blew the lid off steroids in baseball. They had a congressional hearing about it, which now you just have these iconic, like Rafael Palmeiros, you know, I never took steroids and Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens was a part of that. I think Kurt Schilling was there. Uh, Wasn't if I remember. Sosa there too. And he like all of a sudden forgot how to speak English. Yeah. As well. I think like he, he's maybe spoke from a, a um, written statement, but like Jose Canseco was just like, I don't care. I'm going to, throw everyone under the bus um but jose canseco by the way a reminder for texas rangers fans so roided up that a home run bounced off his skull you can look it up on youtube and he just acts like he didn't notice that it hit him in the head he absolutely shook it off like not a problem um and if you look at videos of him You know, I was watching footage today, you know, as you do, um, of him on the Yankees and he just looks insane. He does not look like a real human. You're like, uh, for sure. He was like, there was steroids. Like this guy is a tank from the waist up and he's just, you know, holding a a freaking bat. Like it's a Q-tip. It's insane. It's insane. Like his forearms too. Yeah, and Jose Canseco is just, he's absolutely nuts on Twitter. Um, he he has a huge grudge against Alex Rodriguez. Um, and Sick. so, so like, literally two weeks ago, uh, Jennifer Lopez and A-Rod broke up, and Jose Canseco could not have been more happy. Um, I think it was... <laughs> Uh, for Valentine's Day, he tweeted, you know, happy Valentine's Day to everyone except Alex Rodriguez. And then, you know, after, after they got a divorce, he's like, good morning uh, to Jennifer Lopez. Like, he is absolutely <laughs> insane. I um, love it. He's always talking about his car wash. We're just like, man, I got to go to Vegas on a Wednesday. Just to go to the car wash. Like, you're not going to go to the like, I'll be in a rental car and I'll go through the car wash. I don't care. Um, <laughs> this is, it's, it's, it's so great. He is so interesting. Like, yeah, he is. I'm not sure what his politics are, but he is someone that is. Just he's got screws loose, man. He's got screws loose, but like screws that like aren't critical, you know. Like, and also he's... like surprisingly <laughs> well thought out. He's like, like it's still, it's a well yeah. thought out and considered screw, right? Like the whole oh my god, he's just it, it's he's a troll. He's 
he's a troll. Yeah. He's a troll. And an amazing choice for the Limbaugh. But he well. impacted Major League Baseball in a massive way. And he was a six-time All-Star. He was a two-time World Series champion. You know, he was a good player. Yeah. I do wonder if he ever played in baseball not using steroids. So, because, you know, you see the before and after with Barry Bonds. You know, you see it with Palmero. You never really see it before and after with Jose Canseco. I wonder if he, like, came in juiced. Well, I think in one of his interviews, he's like, I was always going to be 6'3", you know, 200 pounds. He's like, I might as well be able to crush homers and, like, play day after day after day. You know? I I still remember as a kid, uh, me and some friends went to Arlington Stadium when the Oakland A's were in town. Uh, Nolan Ryan era in Mm -hmm. the 80s. And we waited outside the hotel and Mark McGuire comes out and like all the other players were very nice. We were little kids and like they gave us autographs. McGuire just like was walking three feet away from us and just like stared right over us and just kept walking. And I do wonder to this day, is it because he knew that if he would like pick up my pen, he would just snap it in half because he was so drugged up? What year was it? Uh, It had to have been like 88, 89. Wow. Yeah. That might have been the start because I think that's he was on the A's with Jose Canseco. Oakland right. Athletics. So, yeah. No, if you look at the 88 World Series, just that entire team was juiced up. Like, look at just how they look. And players today don't look like that, even with all the different athletic science and nutrition and things like that. Like, they were all just crazy. Yeah. Looking at footage of Jose Canseco, you're like, that arm is absolutely wild. It is yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, but, my God. Like, you and I would have loved, I would think it would be hilarious to give Jose Canseco a presidential better freedom. He would wear it. He would wear it constantly. I oh, have. Yeah. He would wear it to the car wash. He would wear it through the car wash. Yeah. Oh, and also, fun fact: um, he shot his finger off uh, in 2015. <laughs> Just like, how do you shoot your finger off? Well, he was polishing his gun, um, and it was loaded. He was, was lo- he yeah. was polishing a loaded handgun. He's polishing a loaded handgun. Um, if if the Google image results are true, the the gun was a um, 45 caliber silver gun with a scorpion gold grip. So ultra cool. <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> I would let it blow my finger off. Oh if, my if, God. If I had a gun like that, you know, I, I feel like the thing is, is you want to blow off half your finger. Cause that's a conversation starter at a party. Like how did you lose your finger? Oh, I have a scorpion plated gold gun. Right. And then he, and then he, um, was spreading rumors that it fell off during his finger fell off during a poker game. And then he was going to like auction it off. You're like, this guy's nuts. I mean, how do we know that he actually blew his finger off? Maybe he has gambling debts and that was, you know, a little, uh, Oh, I know. Right. His bookie in time. God, that would be, you know, maybe someone should write a book about that, but he would still invite the bookie to the medal of freedom ceremony though. Right. Oh, yeah, and shake his, shake his hand, too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jose Canseco, absolute mental guy. Um, I would love to meet him. I would be laughing the whole time. Well, uh, just because I tend to overthink things, uh, if after 
the Biden administration, it becomes Kamala Harris's administration. Uh, we would have a president who is from, where is she from? California. Oakland, California. Oh, baby. We may be <laughs> four or five years away from this, you know, becoming reality. I, I don't know if there's a way to, like, email the White House suggestions and just be like, hey. we need We need to wait until the Harris presidency, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, those are my picks. Those are my picks. Okay. Well, when Jose Canseco was actually named the Medal of Freedom, will you come back to the show and, and we can yeah, we go do through a, we it? we can do a little breakdown. Okay. Good. We can do a little like breakdown. Um, and if I ever am out in Las Vegas, I'm going to Jose Canseco's Showtime Car Wash. He'll let you wear his medal. I'm getting the deluxe. He'll let me wear the medal. We'll take a pic. Uh, he'll pretend to inject my butt with uh, ana- <laughs> anabolic steroids. With sugar water is what you'll claim. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sander, tell us about Staggers and Jags. I may have something to do with that. Oh, with that yeah. Show. Oh, Maybe. well, someone's Maybe involved. Uh, yeah, uh, so Staggers bit. and Jags is a uh, radio podcast musical that me and Riley Cecil Tagger uh, wrote and created. Um, it's been a couple of years, and Clay Russell was a huge part of making it happen. Um <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you play a wonderful character, Toucan Man, who uh, is is a hero, even though he has, uh, you know, his lines are repetitive, you could say. Mm, I, 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 I would teaser. say that. I would say that. I, I think he'd be up for, for a Limbaugh medal as well. He'd be up. Oh, my God, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's it was so fun to do, and it's just a movie for your ears. And, uh, it has, it has, you know, at least three songs per episode. Um, and some of them are, are, you know, they're folk classics. Some of them are originals. Um, some of them are Pete Siegel, Pete Seeger parodies. Um, you know, we did, we did a waist deep in the big muddy, uh, parody that was, um, really good. And, and waist deep in the big muddy is actually what Pete Seeger, he came back on primetime CBS, um, I think it was the Smothers Brothers show, and cool. he played that and pissed off the CBS executive something awful. Uh, but he he was saying, "Oh no, no, I didn't, I didn't say something bad about the war in Vietnam because none of that song is actually mentioning the war in Vietnam." It was um, about a previous war, correct? Well, it's about it's about a training exercise in Louisiana. Oh. Uh, that whole song is about a, a training exercise, and the, the captain's an idiot. So they're like, oh, no, well, the captain is Lyndon B. Johnson, and the the training exercise is actually Vietnam. And so it's not actually an anti-war song, but you do have to, like, read between the lines. Um, but it's very, very cool. Um, I had a lot of fun. I think everyone enjoyed it. It's very, I think it's very inspired by Pete Seeger in that it is very positive and very wholesome. Um, even though it is a little crass at times, it's all in good it's all in good humor. There's no punching down. Um, and it's, it's trying to be as sing-alongable as possible. So if you're on a road trip, if you're on a long subway ride, which you wouldn't be these days, but maybe who knows. I, when I took are the subway to today. This. I was on the subway. I'm, you know, I'm with it. Well, there you go. Um, it's can, a lot of fun though. Staggers and Jags is so much fun. I want to check it out. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Where, uh, tell us the website, where can they find it? Um, staggers and jags.com staggers with an a. Um, and if you go on Apple, if you go on Spotify, if you go on Google play or whatever they got, the Google podcasts, um, it's on there. If you just type it in, um, it'll come up. It's only six episodes. You know, the episodes are like 30 minutes. So it's, it's not the biggest investment, uh, but it's worth your time. Um, there's a whole season. It's a whole story. It's a whole thing. Um, a bunch of bar. It's about, well, it's about, I should say it's about, I should really pitch it. Um, it's about about two bartenders, two bartenders, um, in the 18th century Caribbean and they're trying to run a bar and a big bad pig man comes in and shuts it all down. Um, you got Medusa, you got Captain Black, uh, you got a whole host of people. Um, It's not all fun and games. There's some drama. It's not all fun and games. There's drama. Yeah. drama uh with a capital d um well capital d and there's some labor struggles with a capital l pete seeger would be proud yeah i don't know what pete seeger would think about it i would actually be very he'd probably, <laughs> he'd probably be very positive but i don't know uh but it's very fun and i hope everyone listens to it because everyone who's listened to it so far has said it's very nice it's it's an amazing show so highly suggested yes yes all right sandra randall thanks for being on the limbaugh thanks for having me Up next are Medals of the Week. Welcome back. Now it is time for us to award our Medals of the Week. We figured this was a great way to kind of celebrate uh, newsmakers and public figures who are in the consciousness uh, this week and to kind of have a discussion about who would earn a medal in a lifetime and who would earn a medal in a single week. Um, I am both honored and deeply saddened to present my first medal of the week to Jessica Walter, um, Mm. the Emmy award winning star of Arrested Development, um, countless, countless movies and TV shows uh, dating back to the 1960s, including a movie based on a Mary McCarthy book, The Group. And um, just like truly one of the most uh, razor sharp um, yeah. comedic talents in like of, of all time. Um, Agreed. Would that would... be the movie that you would recommend to people to start with, with her? Uh, so oh, yeah. yeah. Cause it also, uh, Jessica Walter's stars, like, cinematic universe. It also stars a very like early performance of Candace Bergen. <gasps> and I feel like she's another one of those people that like a lot of people our age just think started existing in like 1990. <laughs> and, um, I think my love for, uh, Jessica Walter definitely comes from like her, like comedic timing and her like ability to just like not waste any screen time. Mm. But in this movie, uh, there is a scene it's like set at, I want to say Princeton. It's been a while since I've seen it. And it's about a group of seven friends and it's essentially like the first like kind of like saucy kind of like Jacqueline Suzanne story about like women and like their own like issues and, um, who gets married and who doesn't and who, you know, gets divorced. And she's like a total fucking babe in the entire movie. And there's a scene where she's on the phone with one of the other girls in the group and she's like in a bathtub. And it's like not like Sharon Stone and um, uh, Basic Instinct, <laughs> but like it's just like a thing where like she's just on the phone. And like I remember watching it and being like, Lucille Bluth was a babe. Like mm-hmm. we 
you, and again, like she, that's when she entered my life was on Arrested Development, um, mm. which was a role that was so incredible that the people who created Archer called her and were like, um, so do you want to do that again? And like, maybe we just make you a cartoon. And, and I'd like to think it. she responded by saying, I don't understand the question and I refuse to respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> she, as an Archer watcher, I can vouch. It's just as good. Like it, it never gets old. Although I don't know. I think they got renewed for one more season prior to her passing away. And I am wondering how they're going to handle that. So uh, the film is called The Other. Is that right, Brian? The Group. Uh, the, group the Group. It's called The Group. The Group. Okay. Yes. Look it up. Marvelous. Well, Jessica Walter. Crushing the game right up till the end. I mean, how amazing is it to think that you could pass away at the age of 80 and people's reaction is like, no, like she had so much more to do. You know, like she was That's still doing is, such good work. There was no like sundowning. Like, um, no. just as like a, a trigger warning, like Betty White hasn't been seen in a couple of years. Like, we don't know what Betty White is oh, up no. to. Like yeah. Jessica Walter was like still turning in great work. She um, was. I mean, she was the best part of that Arrested Development reunion. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, obviously a cursed endeavor. And there was that gaslighting thing with the interview with the New Yorker. Where oh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tambor, Tambor. canceled him canceled. forever. Mm. Like, God, take Jeffrey Tambor. Give us one more day with Jessica Walter. Let her record her <laughs> Archer lines. Yes, um, that would but, be a fair trade. Okay. Uh, Christine, uh, yeah. what about you? Uh, who's your medal? Yeah. Okay, so mine is going to go to what's technically not a person. And um, full disclosure, I really just want an excuse to talk about this. So my medal is going to go to the tugboat that dislodged. Nice. I was thinking you were going to pick Major Biden just for biting everyone. (laughs) And like taking a dump outside of the boardroom. Exactly. I love him. He gets an honorable mention. How about that? Yeah. Tugboat's Um, great, though. So the tugboat for... Our future listeners, all five of you, we're recording this the week that um, the Ever Given was dislodged from the Suez Canal, where it had been sort of stuck at a diagonal angle for several days. Hold on. The name of the ship was the Ever Given? I did not know that. Yes, that's correct. Wow. So, and um, the internet kind of had fun with this one. And the thing is, like, it wasn't technically a victimless crime. Like, apparently every economy, including ours, was losing a billion dollars a day or something because global trade, like, ground to a halt. And, like, it's actually adorable. But, you guys, the memes were so good. It just, like, it, like we all needed this. It was just, it felt really wholesome, again, because, like, this amount of money doesn't feel real to anybody. It's like, I... the. Oh, billion dollars a day. Oh, no. Like, Jeff Bezos probably has that much change in his couch cushions. Like, who cares? Right. It's not real money. Um, like, people, the, the boats were going down around Africa <laughs> again, and there were, like, memes about that. Um, I, I learned a lot about the Suez Canal, which is, like, it's actually only deep in a very small channel, and then the sides, like, pitch very quickly up to the to the end. So this little, like, I mean, this was built in 1860, so, you know, this wasn't exactly modern technology that yeah. decided how the angles should be on this. So and the types were... of ships in 1860 uh, weren't exactly freighters. Yeah, and so that, because my two questions were, how did this happen, and how has this never happened before? And um, 
It's yeah, it's basically like ca- capitalism is always the villain, uh, as we all know. And they just keep making these these cargo ships bigger and bigger. Like the ship is essentially the size of the Empire State Building on its side. And it's just like, yeah, I like one wrong move and you've got this massive thing like lodged, you know. So anyway, the reason why the tugboat wins is the tugboat and, you know, the tugboat is is a stand in for like any bit of the small equipment that they use to like do this because that was the guy. Yeah. The guy that shows up and uh, doesn't necessarily get celebrated, but does the work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, you that know, tugboat is like the Carpathia or like whatever boat it was that picked up all those people from the Titanic. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, you don't even remember its name, but like and... it, it actually made it to shore. I'm like the Titanic. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing about like my new crash course in the global shipping trade is like, do you guys remember in the mid aughts when shipping airs were like, Big on the scene, they were all like dating celebrities. It was the like, uh, yeah, like yeah. Star Wars Nachos with uh, Paris Hilton. And yeah. Par- remember, Paris was engaged to a guy named Paris. I think he was also a shipping heir. Yeah, there was the Onassises. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, I don't know, they're just, they have so much money. And I guess I never really understood how or why or whatever. And it's just like, well, when you got this much like physical money going around, I don't know, it kind of felt like a throwback, you know? Mm hmm. I spent 15 years not thinking about shipping at all, and here we are. We think about internet attacks and, uh, you know, uh, attacks on nuclear facilities and things like that when, like, all of a sudden the thing... Yeah. Boom. A fucking ship gets stuck in a canal, and we're all, like, thrilled for five whole days. Exactly. Something from 1860 dragged our lives to a halt. It had, like, a retro feeling to it. It really did. I agree, yeah. Like, what an unmitigated disaster, because, like... I, it's obviously a different type of shipping, but like when UPS delays my package a single fucking day, I'm like on suicide watch. Livid. The idea yeah. that like this boat fucked up shipping for all of these other companies for five days and that like billions upon billions of dollars from the world economy were lost. And it's like a thing where like people are like, but the memes are dank is just crazy to me because I'm like, what do you mean? My sneakers won't be, re- won't be delivered on Tuesday. You said Tuesday is just hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah, we're all we're all doomed, and we probably deserve it. But um, I don't. Oh, and I guess we should give uh, maybe like another special citation should go to the moon because apparently they timed the tugging like the final push what, or pull. Low tide. With, yeah, high tide. High yeah. tide. So the moon did a little bit of work too. So the moon gets um, a little honorable shout out. mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an actual man. We all know that there is a man uh, on the moon, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he would and actually get the medal. He's made of cheese. So yeah. I've seen the honeymooners. It's Jackie Gleason. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just like we'll just send him a we'll send him a, a little medal on the next NASA mission or SpaceX, whichever comes first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's to you, little tugboat. Thanks for, thanks for saving the global economy. <laughs> well done. Uh, mine is uh, I saw and uh, probably the best documentary that I've seen in a long time uh, last week on HBO, uh, and it's the Tina Turner documentary, Tina. Oh, uh, and. Uh, Something that that I think this documentary does a great job uh, pointing out is 
that, you know, for anyone our generation or younger, we think of Tina Turner as uh, this person who overcame an awful uh, situation of domestic abuse and, uh, and you know, was able to triumph and, and have a second life. And this documentary points out just how new that was when it happened in in the 80s. Uh, you see footage after she leaves Ike Turner. Uh, for people who don't know the story, uh, Tina Turner was in a band with Ike Turner, uh, and they were one of the biggest R&B bands of the 60s and 70s. And she just all of a sudden, at the height of their fame, just left him. Uh, and people, you know, weren't exactly sure why that happened. And there's footage of her on talk shows uh, and they say, well, I'm glad that you're doing great, but what's Ike up to? Like, why, why don't you guys talk? What, what's going on? Oh. And she would just kind of laugh her way through. And this lasted for years of, okay, well, I'm glad that you're doing well, but, uh, do you feel like you really did Ike Turner wrong? And she finally gave an interview to People Magazine and said, you know, I lived through 15 years of uh, domestic battery and sexual assault. And this was a revolutionary thing. You did not talk about this stuff in public. And she was one of the very first people to to really push domestic abuse to the forefront of something that you can talk about. Uh, and yeah, it was a absolutely, uh, brave thing that she did. Uh, and I think oftentimes, especially back then, uh, you know, we still had this 1950s mentality of, of never discussing what happens behind, you know, your, your front door, your house. Uh, she did that and, uh, you know, was sued by Ike Turner and pretty much lost everything that she owned, uh, and had to rebuild herself back up and, uh, and you know, really pushed through and did that. And a lot of the documentary is her talking about uh, the fact that, that she, you know, moved on and got through this awful portion of her life. But all anybody really wanted to talk about was this awful portion of her life yeah. and how she, she had to struggle with that being, you know, someone who uh, was a big proponent for, for speaking up about things like that, but also wanting to move on and, and her struggle behind that. And uh, yeah, she's in her eighties right now. She's, she's uh, long been retired, but I think that that documentary is important just to show uh, you know, exactly what she did to get there. And, uh, yeah, a really great documentary, Tina wow. on HBO. Check it out. Yeah. Wow. I definitely am going to. Yeah. Good for Tina Turner. I mean, it's God, you know, that right now, um, there's been a lot of thanks to the Britney documentary and stuff. There's been a lot of revisiting, um, kind of like in the aughts, maybe late nineties, how, female celebrities were talked to and questioned by like legitimate um interviewers and that's over things like oh you've been partying a lot lately or like you're really hot and the Mm -hmm. idea that um even decades before that tina turner was getting that kind of questioning about like yeah this horrific abuse it's just like well if we're gonna start doing some reckoning with um you know how the press has treated female celebrities we might as well take a good hard look at stuff like that too. And also if nothing else, it'll uh, recognize and uh, have people remember that the album private dancer is an absolute banger. So there you go. I would say the one flaw with the documentary is that it's just one piece. 
Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I think it could be a three-part series. Like, th- and that wouldn't even begin to, like, scratch the surface. Like, there mm-hmm. are so many different eras to her. There's so many different pieces. And she's somebody who's just so self-possessed. And it's just, like, there's there was no one like her where it's like, oh, this is what her inspiration was. Like, she is truly, like... Like an act of divinity, like she just exists, and to me, the idea that um they you know chose or Tina was just like, "Sorry, I'm giving you two hours, and that's it. um I'm too busy enjoying my life in retirement, but I think like this could have been like a sweeping um with like a, a like a much younger man, like she's really on top of the her shots game. of her her estate in Switzerland mm. are incredible. She's like, I gave you guys a Broadway musical to say goodbye. Like, you're fine. I got to go. I'm sorry Broadway isn't open. Um, But, yeah, that's that's my only... I guess, like, that's how good it is, is that my complaint is that there isn't more. Mm. I I agree. I think that, especially in the the current trend of of really uh, telling the whole story in these documentaries, I think, of The Last Dance and and O.J. Made in America... uh, yeah, it would have been incredible to have a part one, Ike and Tina, part two, uh, you know, her break from that. And, and when she became, you know, one of the biggest musicians in the world and part three, her finding love, you know, well into her 50s and, and actually being at peace with herself. Yeah. Wow. It's what she deserves. That's right. So my medal goes to Tina Turner. That was a good round. I think that that's was good. A, that, that's a lifetime medal right there. Yes, it so is. So we got two female recipients and an inanimate object. No men this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think technically like Joe Biden would be like, well, we're going to give it to the captain of the tugboat. And I don't want to make any assumptions about people who work on boats, but I, I would be fairly certain that that is a man. I would agree. So yeah. Fine. Although boats are usually women, right? However, listener, if you are a female tugboat captain, please call, call me. Us. I want to know oh your God. story. Yes. <laughs> wanna I want to do a deep dive. I on want you. to know that female tugboat captain's Limbaugh. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys, we did it. First oh show. We got in a the podcast. Woo. Yeah. Woo. I mean, given all of the technical difficulties, maybe first and last, we'll see. You know, we're going to white knuckle our way through it. No, we, we got through it. We got through it. It'll be smoother next time. Yes. Listeners, look forward to, to episode two. Stay tuned to see if in episode two, maybe a man gets a medal. Mm. <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> All right, Thanks. everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.